Kingdom keys to an abundant life, much love, many blessings, and great favor. My thesis is that in the kingdom there are keys. And these keys permit you to enter into the different dimensions that God has for you. There's the key of the blood. There's the key of the name of Jesus. There is the, the, the key of spiritual authority. There is the key of God's word. There's so many different keys. There's the key of faith. There's the key of healing. All, there's the key of worship. There's the key of even steadfast perseverance. Some things you just got to, Paul said, stand. Finally, just stand. Of all of these, I think that perhaps one of the most significant is faith. The reason is the blood, the name. All of these keys actually require faith to be able to activate them. I can give you a car, but if I don't give you the key to that car, you're not going anywhere. I give you a house, but I don't give you the key to the front door. You see my point here. God has given us things that then require keys for us to be able to access them. So our experience with God is based upon this fact that he enables us, but we must also pursue. One of the young ladies in our church is an incredible musician, Jade Simmons. She attended the 9 o'clock service this morning. She is such an incredible pianist. James, do you know her, James? Have you... You know, she actually was called to perform before President Barack Obama at the White House. She, was, she went there at the end of last. That's the quality of musician that I'm talking about. You don't get there by playing chopsticks every Saturday to entertain yourself. You've got to work with God to develop what he's put inside of you. And in fact, she's performing here very soon, and I'm trying to work it out where I, my wife and I will be able to, to hear her just in a small setting. Incredibly gifted, classical pianist. And as we look at this, we, our basic scripture has been, our foundational scripture this year, Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22. I'm not going to take the time to read them. You can put them up there just so that people can read as I'm talking. But what it says is, is that if we look at God's word, His word is health to all our flesh. That word health in the Hebrew literally means that you're not scrolling them. Scroll them there so they can see it. Verse 22, do not let them depart from your eyes. The next verse says it's health to all of our flesh. And if you will notice, the Hebrew word for health, as I've been pointing out week in and week out, until I so saturate you with this that it will transform your life. Amen. I want you to realize that that word literally means a prescription. Received an email from one of our young men in this church, in fact, one of our pastor's sons, who has had a physical problem most of his life. And he said that verse right there is literally transforming his life as he is watching God begin to affect this pr problem he's had his whole life through the power of standing on this one verse. And he thanked me for repeating it Sunday after Sunday. Our problem is we read it and go on to the next verse sometimes, and in our study, we don't ponder the Scripture, meditate on the Scripture. Amen. In conjunction, I've been using Mark chapter 9. Picture this incredible story as they put it up there. Jesus has had the most awe-inspiring experience of his entire ministry. He has been transfigured until the inner God is shining out of him 
making his flesh transparent so that he, he is shining brighter than the sun. His raiment is snow white. Moses and Elijah appear with him. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. On the way down from that experience, a hideously scarred little boy is led by his father up to Jesus. This boy is Middle Eastern in origin, which means that his skin color is olive, a little darker. Here's the thing. As any of our doctors in this church or any of our medical people will tell you, that the more mel melatonin you have in your skin, if you are burned in, in, a, in a fire, that it pre produces what is called keloid tumors. If you're cut, it can produce a keloid tumor. I see people shaking their head. You've seen in people with darker pigmentation, maybe a raised welt from a scar. doesn't happen to all of them. On my side of the family, American Indians, the same thing can affect them. The lighter the color, the color of the person, the less likely this is to happen, but it's a reaction that is based upon this pigmentation. This boy, the reason I mention this, he has been cast into the fire. He not only deals with the disfiguration of the damage caused by flames, but the keloid tumors possibly resulting. His father plaintively wails, Jesus, I've brought my son to your disciples to cast out this suicidal spirit that's trying to kill him because this boy is such a person of destiny. The devil doesn't want him to ever live long enough to fulfill the destiny that has been bestowed upon him. And so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not. That's a sad and sorry place for a church to be. When somebody comes for help and they come in and there's nothing on the shelf to help them. If you're not going to have something on your shelf, take the sign off your door. Amen. Don't say open when you're really closed. And Jesus says, all things are possible. The man says, Lord, if you can do anything. And Jesus looks at him and says, you should have been with me 30 minutes ago. If I can, <laughs> just hang on and tighten your seatbelt. All things are possible if you can believe. And the man's plaintive response, so incredibly honest, more honest than many of us sometimes are, is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh, my, help me overcome is what the NIV says, my unbelief. As I've been talking to you, I've taken this as our thesis for the present time. That to activate the key of faith, we must be honest and admit we also sometimes have doubt. You don't live in this world and not experience some doubt. 25 years ago, everybody believed in God and believed in the Bible. Openly stated, might not live it. You could tell they weren't living it, but they'd sure tell you you needed to. Amen. You know what I mean? Amen. They'd say it's the thing to do and someday they're going to. These days, that's been marginalized. Now it's popular to profess there is no God. In fact, sci the scientific community would have us believe they're the only ones that are logical and have scientific proof to believe what they believe. And therefore, I have taken the subject, and this is part two today, the question, is there a God? And I want to remove, as I said, some speed bumps so that you can have an encounter in that last little bit of lingering doubt planted by all of these factors I've mentioned, media, education, 
professors who ridicule us, the culture, and all of these things. So you can remove all of that and reach out to embrace what God has for you and experience him to the fullest. I, I want you to understand that their claims that they're the only ones that are logical and scientific and the only ones with a systematic system of uh, uh, approach to studying uh, whether things are real or not remind me for all of the world of Boudreaux and the game warden and the pet fish. Boudreaux, being from my home state of Louisiana, has caught coming by the game warden from the game reserve. And he's got a bucket full of freshly caught fish. And the game warden jumps out and says, Boudreaux, you rascal, I done caught you red-handed. And Boudreaux said, don't know what you're talking about, game warden. He said, that bucket of fish, the fishing season is closed, and I caught you with these fish you just caught from the reservoir. And Boudreaux said, I don't know nothing about that. He said, shy, said, me and my pet fish just been down to the reservoir, and I take them once a week, and they go exercise and swim. I let them out and they swim. They come get back in my bucket and we done brought ourselves back home. And the game warden said, you expect me to believe that? He said, it's a true shay. He said, it is. And he said, you don't believe? He said, you just come on and brought yourself down there to the reservoir with me and I done show you what I'm talking about. So he lets the bucket of fish out into the reservoir and they swim away. And they wait for him to come back. And they wait five minutes and then 10, then 15, 20 And 30 minutes and the game warden finally says, you lying rascal, you, you scoundrel, where are those fish? And Boudreaux says, what fish, game warden? (laughs) That's what I want to say every time they say, we have evidence. I want to say, where's the fish? What fish? Because they keep saying they're the ones. And all of these claims that you hear, do you know, that is the unanimous agreement of those who actually know there is not even one transitional fossil that exists and the entire fossil record that they have found to prove that man or anything evolved from one thing into something else. Not one transitional fossil. Oh, you won't believe that. Listening to some of these people talk, but there is not even one. So I've been giving you the arguments for God's existence. You have to understand what proof means here now. Okay? Because CSI, they can find one hair when they vacuum the floor next to a a victim. And they can do DNA evidence. And you, you say you were on the other side of town. Oh, no, we done found a microscopic hair. Now... Uh, here's the thing that works for CSI and it works for everything else but when it comes to religion that's not good enough we, we won't were you there well no I wasn't there when God created the world well you don't want yeah but if you can accept CSI's evidence you better be able to accept mine and so if it's good enough for CSI I guess it's good enough for me and I presented to you the 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 cosmological argument for God's existence the teleological argument Big words, don't worry about remembering them. I explained them last week. If you weren't here, get the CD. But this week, I want to talk to you about three other arguments for God's existence. Number one, if you want to know God exists, just look around. Tell somebody, just look around. This is the argument for irreducible complexity. Just say those words, irreducible complexity. Don't worry about what it means. 
I'll explain it to you. The argument states that certain biological systems are too complex to have evolved from simpler or less complete predecessors though through natural selection acting upon a series of advantageously naturally occurring chance mutations. You say, what did that just mean? I'll tell you. It means that the, everybody agrees the world began with the, the, the Big Bang. This is, even the Bible has reference to this. But nonetheless, they say that as the universe expanded from this fiery center, it began to cool into planets and etc. and universes, that on this planet, there was a certain chemical combination that happened to be in just the right amounts and just the right mixture. And they believe it was lightning that flashed or something like that, generating heat that hit that, this little pool of chemical stew in this hollow of a rock maybe. And guess what happened? Just the right amount of voltage went through it to make and create life in the form of microscopic one-celled organisms. How wonderful. Amen. Though to be honest, I've had a few shorts and, you know, plugs and receptacles in my house. Hadn't created anything other than smoke in my case. You hear what I'm saying. But as time went on, the Darwinian theory of natural selection is mutations occur. Chance mutations. And these mutations grew little bumps. This is a dramatic oversimplification. So just let me say it and, and I could get a little more ridiculous with it or even in more detail. But I'll, I'm trying to find the middle road. And so eventually they met up with another little cell that had the same mutation and they had offspring. I'm just dramatic oversimplification. And those little bumps grew legs. And they became arms. And guess what? Eureka! You and I stepped out of that little bowl of chemical stew one day. Basically, this is what they call chance mutation and the, the, the evolution of the species. Though they have no documentation to find anything where, they trend, where one thing changed or metamorphed into another, uh, or morphed into another, they, they have no, nothing in the fossil record. And so the, the argument of irreducible complexity is simply this, that that all sounds real good and, you know, it sounds cool, but the bottom line is some systems of life are so complex they could not have lived through the evolutionary process to have become me and you. For example, the human eye is so complex that even if one component were out of order, and was not working, you could not see. And so how do you evolve sight with all of these systems having to simultaneously emerge? And they went on to say it like this. Well, you have no proof that anything else happened. And by the way, on the basis of irreducible complexity, you might know that there are many world-renowned scientists that are rejecting atheism the more they study human bodies and the lives of animals, the more they see that it's preposterous that these things could even have evolved this long because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's like your car. Now, you can have an elaborate mechanism to turn on your car. You can have a, a starter on your key remote. You can have one where there's a button to push. You don't even have to put your key in. Or you can have a hot wire if you're old-fashioned. 
Now, I don't have a degree in hot wiring cars, so I don't know if it takes one, two, or three wires, but you can just, you know, spark some wires together and get it going. What I'm saying is you can have either a simple ignition system or a complex one, but you have to have an ignition system. And if the ignition system doesn't work, guess what? Car's not going anywhere. You may have the best engine and transmission and tires in the world, but you're not going anywhere. You hear what I'm saying? And the odds of a circulatory system, nervous system, neurological system, all of these things, skeletal systems, all of these things simultaneously evolving at the same time to support life, they say the odds are so enormously against that that it is literally impossible for it to happen. And so that's what many scientists are now saying. Now now watch it because you need to hear but they say, an atheist say, oh, but you have to prove there is a God. Oh, really? Well, they've said all kind of stuff they haven't proven. Prove to me this man killed that one when all you found was a hair beside the body. But it's good enough for CSI, but not good enough for an atheist for some reason. It's like this. You go to a, desert, a deserted desert island. You find a magnificent mansion with lush acreage of landscape beauty. Floral gardens that are bursting with every color of the rainbow, well irrigated and watered. Here is this mansion that would be the envy of architectural digest. And you look at it modern and sleek and magnificent with its teak doors. And you look at its soaring columns and its archways. And you walk inside and it's Italian marble on the floors. And it's got Persian carpets woven. I'm I'm talking about over a thousand hand-woven knots per square inch, the expensive kind. Not the kind you get down at uh, Garden City or someplace, you know what I mean. And you walk in and they're hanging chandeliers with Baccarat crystal or Waterford, your choice. And you look at gold-plated fixtures. It's got plumbing systems and electrical systems. And the furniture is the latest. And it's the very best imported Italian sofas. And and you go out to the pool and it's magnificent like it had been airlifted from Hawaii and dropped in the backyard. And, And you say, hello, because that's your response to something this magnificent. You don't see any sign of life and you're going through the place saying, hello, is anybody here? The question is, why are you asking if anybody's there? Because you're smart enough to know something like that didn't just take place on its own. Now, if you come across a little lean-to created by a tree that got knocked down and another one fell across it and some brush got blown up against it, you, don't, you, you know that may have just happened. But the more complex something becomes, the more it demands that you understand that there was a designer and a builder of that object that you just encountered. Not even a single atheist from Richard Dawkins, Richard Hitch, uh, I'm sure, Dawkins to Hitchens on down, not a one of them would find that house and say, that house just evolved. It, uh-uh. And yet, I'm talking about a house called the human body that is the house of your eternal spirit that is 10,000 times more intricately designed than is the house I just got through describing on that desert island. 
Amen. So there is the argument of irreducible complexity that something is so complex it can't be brought down any lower and survive to a certain point. And then secondly, there is the argument, and listen to me because this is important, it's the transcendent moral argument. Just put that up there. Somebody tell me the transcendent moral argument. Would you do that? Talk back to me a little bit. Oh, it's not everybody. Somebody say transcendent moral argument. Now, what does that mean? Listen to me. The transcendent moral argument simply is is this. It establishes the existence of God by arguing that logic and morals ultimately presuppose the Judeo-Christian worldview and that God's transcendent character is the source of all logic and morals. Now, this other world that I just talked about, Listen to what Dr. B.G. Ranganathan says. He said this, The probability of life originating from accident is comparable to the unabridged dictionary resulting from an explosion in a printing shop. Listen to what Dr. Fred Hoyle, English astronomer and professor of astronomy at Cambridge University. You've heard of Cambridge University, haven't you? The oldest continuous university in the world one of the most prestigious, he said this, the chance that higher forms have emerged in this way, talking about the evolutionary view, is comparable with the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials therein. That's what they're saying. Many scientists are now rejecting that view because the evidence is so strong you can't ignore it. But when you look at this one, the transcendent moral argument it becomes even more clear because it states that without the existence of God, it is impossible to prove that anything is right or wrong morally. You see, what they would have us believe is that we evolved from this chemical soup and over time we developed thinking processes that are electrochemical responses in the brain. Here's the problem with that. If all we are are animals that have electrochemical processes taking place that we call thought, who is to say that this electrochemical process in my brain is right and the one in yours is wrong when we come to a contradiction? Have there been contradictions? Oh, yeah. Who is to say it's wrong to kill or steal or rape or maim or murder or burn down your house or abuse or molest children if there is no God? Because all my decision was, was an electrochemical process. Have others different chemical processes than ours? Yes, they do. Ask Ted Bundy. Ask John Gacy. Ask Stalin who murdered over 30 million of his own countrymen. You say, but common sense tells you it's wrong to kill. No, not really. According to Stalin, that was why he was killing those so he could establish his utopian communist government. Hitler, it was common sense that we needed to get rid of the Jews. That was his thinking process. Who's to tell him wrong? My chemical process happens to be better than yours. Uh, Who is to say that? Right on down the line to Pol Pot of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. Hitler killed six million. Pol Pot over two million. Or who is to say the five million they've killed in the Congo that it was wrong to kill them or the four million in the Sudan? You see, the real truth of the matter is that without a solid moral argument, you can't say one thing is right or wrong. 
Why do we say it's wrong to kill? It's because in Exodus, the Lord God wrote with his finger and said, Thou shalt not commit murder. Amen. Somebody in the building, I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. Oh, but you say, well, the prison, I'm, I'm not responding, I'm listening. This is so intellectual. No, I'm giving you some stuff that'll help you shout later on. You see, our problem is we're like the helium balloon. You ever watch a helium, helium balloon be filled with helium? You give it to a child and it gets away from the child. And there it goes drifting away. You don't need to worry about getting, it in, getting in the flight path of a 747 and bringing down an airplane. Because as it goes up, it starts leaking helium. And it's going to come back down. That's how many of us Christians are. We leak. We're full of faith on Sunday and we get full of helium. But by Wednesday, we're leaking again. I'm preaching. Preach it, Richard Hurd. I, I believe I will. And the reason we're leaking is they keep punching all these pinholes in our faith and we have questions that we haven't even been willing to admit we have. So here I am being honest enough to confront some issues. I'm going to fix some leaks here where you can climb higher in God than you have ever been before in all of your life. Turn to somebody and say all things are possible. Amen. And so what happens is simply this. The Ted Gacy, or the Ted Bundys and the John Gacy's of our world and the other serial killers that we call psychopaths. You know what a psychopath is? It's a person whose chemical process doesn't lead them to feel remorse the way most of us feel it. Well, who are we to condemn them? And those in Africa where I work uh, so, and spend a good deal of my time, life is cheap, baby. I mean cheap. You can get somebody killed for $10 where I'm at. And it's worse the more you move toward the interior of the continent. Here in America, if somebody gets killed in an accident and there's insurance, you can sue, baby, sue. Amen. But do you know what they give you in Africa? If a family member gets killed in an accident, run over by a drunk driver, you're lucky if you get $500. Because human life is cheap. Well, who's... Right or wrong, us or them. Maybe our chemical processes are the ones that are abnormal, where we're spending billions in medical research to cure cancer. Who is to say? The reason we value life is not because of a chemical process or biological process. It's because there is a transcendent God who... Breathe life into us. And every culture has valued life and made, a, made it a crime to commit murder. Except in those cases where I've talked about where in their warped logical way of thinking, logical to them, murder was a means to achieve an end. But the rest of the world stood up against these heinous crimes. This is why right now, I'm going to shock you in Europe. Why do we need to hang on to God in America? Listen, you saw the debacle this week where they're wanting to run Chick-fil-A out of Chicago. I thought this was a... Oh, Lord, am I in the wrong place here? I thought this was the U.S. of A. Land of the, of the home, uh, land, uh, home of, the, uh, of the brave and land of the free. 
I thought we all had rights here. I thought there was a freedom of speech. God knows I've had to listen to a lot of stuff I did not want to hear in my life. Now you're going to tell me because somebody said that he believes in family values as outlined by the Bible, we're going to run you out of Chicago. Uh-uh. This is not Hitler, Germany. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's not what my ancestors died to give to me. As a country, nor did yours die to give such a country to you. But we live in a world where everybody else is coming out of the closet. I'm coming out too. I'm going to just let you know. I believe in God. I'm a tongue-talking, spirit-filled preacher. I worship on Sunday morning. I believe in miracles. I believe there's a God who hears and answers prayer. I believe the Bible is the inerrant word of Almighty God. I believe we have a soul that's going to live forever. Woo! I feel, I feel. Somebody in this house say amen. Be seated. What happened inside your brain cannot be regarded as a law for everybody else to follow. If they're right, and logic is just a chemical, electrochemical process, and so the atheist that stands and spouts, well, I can believe in moral values and not believe in God. Oh, really? The very God you claim not to believe in is the one you're building your moral values upon. And God, who is so wonderful, just smiles and says, let's wait and see who's right. I'll be around after you're gone. And trust me, you will find out someday whether I'm real or not. If not here, later on. Oh, somebody say hallelujah. The final argument for the existence of God is if you want to know if God exists, talk to somebody who met him. Hmm. This is the argument of personal experience. Now, I happen to love pralines and cream, bluebell pralines and cream, ice cream. I'm, I'm getting more response from some of you now than I have all morning. Amen. And when I fly in on, on Saturday, come Saturday night, I'm not going to lie to you. I get me a little bluebell pralines and cream ice cream. We buy it at Walgreens. They have the big half gallons and I'll scoop a number of scoops out and put them in a bowl and put it in the microwave. Zap it for a few minutes where it's soft. And I had to go to my cardiologist the other day (laughs) for my annual checkup. No, he said, I'm doing really good. Really good. Every area. He said, even my cholesterol is good. But he said, let's go ahead and work to get the LDL down even lower. I said, what will cause that? And he said, well, your dietary habits and so forth. I said, you mean when I fly in, if I'm staying over to have my blood tip work on Monday morning or to see you? That means Saturday night and Sunday night, I'm indulging in a little pralines and cream bluebell. Now, I cut it off at midnight because you're supposed to fast from midnight to... <laughs> Amen. So I, 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 you know, I'm doing what's right. 
And he laughed and he said, yeah, that can definitely affect it. <laughs> Amen. So I've told Jerry I'm going to have to scale back on the bluebell pralines and cream, at least before I go have a blood test so, it'll <laughs> <laughs> so the LDL will look really good. Amen. We'll pray over the rest of it. Amen. And at any rate, now you came too late to tell me there's no such thing as pralines and cream made by bluebell. You hear what I'm saying? Where is it? Brennan, Texas? Brennan, Brennan, Brennan. Yeah, y'all saying it once and I'm hearing different things up here. So Brennan, Texas. Got it. Okay. You came too late. You say, but I've never seen it. I've never tasted it. As far as I'm concerned, that's your problem. (laughs) I have. And you can say there is no scientific evidence I have been exposed to that tells me bluebell, pralines, and cream ice cream exists. All I can say is too late, too late, too late. And I want to tell you the same thing is true about God. Oh, by the way, before I move away from that subject, if you really want to know the raptures of ecstasy, mix some root beer with your bluebell, pralines, and cream. And put it in the blender for just a moment now. Don't put it too long. It will grind up all the pralines. So just a little while to to liquefy it. You know what I mean? I mean, it will send you into a diabetic shock. This is an experience that will transform your life. I I can assure you it will. You will never be the same thereafter. And once you've tasted it, nobody can tell you it's not real. Well, some of us have had an encounter that you can't take away from us. We know it's real. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost working in this house. Do you hear what I'm saying? I remember the night that he rolled up his sleeve and reached down into the miry clay and brought me out of the pit from where I had been stuck. You came too late to tell me there is no God because I met him for myself. I've already tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Too late, somebody. Too late. I've already met him. I know he's real. I'm closing. But I just got to say this. Now, if I was the only one that told you about bluebell pralines and cream mixed with root beer, you might doubt. But if a hundred people told you and you still don't believe, you, you, you're stubborn. And if a thousand tell you they've experienced it and then a million and you still don't believe. You beyond stubborn, you're stupid. <laughs> Amen. No offense. I just, I mean, I, 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 I'm being honest. I'm not trying to be ugly here. But do you know how many have had an encounter with the God that some want to tell us doesn't exist? One billion people have experienced the God that they're trying to tell us does not exist. All I can say is, Too late. Somebody needs to say too late. 
I want to hear it again. Tell somebody. Somebody that met him needs to say it's too late. Uh-uh. Don't let anybody tell you there is no God. There's the argument of irreducible complexity. There is the argument of the moral transcendence of God. And then there is the argument of personal experience. And I close with that one by pointing out there was even another dimension of this personal experience thing. During the years as medicine has evolved, it's brought us many new wonders, and thank God for it. But you know, medical science and all science has had to back up and say they're wrong so many times. Do you know how the first president of the United States of America died? How many of you know? Can I see your hand? Then Google this. You know how George Washington died? They believed 200 years ago that when you got sick, they were supposed to cut you and let the bad blood out. That's right. So his physician cut him and bled so much blood that he died from lack of blood in his own body. That is not a, a, a fiction. Google, how did George Washington die? Oh, since then, we're sorry, Brother George, we figured out we did wrong. <laughs> not going to help you, but it may help the next generation. Okay? And I thank God for the wonderful doctors, as I said, and medical personnel in our church. And this is not belittling the medical profession. But I'm just saying you can't always accept what science says is absolute today because it may change come tomorrow. And there was a time before medicine reached this degree of, of advanced technology and treatment where the common experience of a terminally ill patient oftentimes revealed the existence of God as well. What I mean, ask your grandmama. Ask your mom and dad. These days when you are terminally ill, they give you palliative treatment, which makes you comfortable until you die. And often you're not even fully aware that you're still in the world. Back in those days, uh-uh. Numerous families will tell you of experiences, and many books have been written about it, where a person nearing death saw the other world approaching. I have had an experience with that in my own family. My cousin, Edward Jensen, died at the age of 19. I was much younger than him, just a little boy, but I remember vividly that Sunday when he was, Sunday night when in church, we prayed for him. Edward, it, they discovered, had a congenital heart problem that had existed since he was born. And now it was taking his life. He was 19. And he was going to the doctor the next day, and that's when they discovered what it was. And we prayed for him on Sunday night. And I was just a little guy. My grandmother brought me to church. And I remember Edward cried in the presence of God entered that room. And we all cried and trembled. And he spoke in tongues. And the power of God was there. Pulled out his handkerchief and dabbed his eyes. And, and thanked the little congregation of less than 27 people on a Sunday night. And then he, he said, whatever happens, I'm, I'm ready now. He went to the hospital the next morning. Stayed in the hospital some weeks. And as Edward grew weaker and died, just barely there. All of a sudden, he began to smile. And my Aunt Florence, you remember Aunt Florence, Jerry? That was my dad's, one of my dad's older sisters. That was her son. She and some other family members were there. And Edward began to smile. And his mama said, son, what, 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 what's the matter? What, you, what's, what's making you happy? And he just smiled. And she said, son, what's going on? And he looked up and said, mama, can you see them? Angels, mama, are coming into this room. Angels, mama. And he just got so excited. And then he said, oh, mama, they're coming for me. 
They're coming for me, mama, to take me home. And with that, he said, hallelujah, and went to be with God at that very moment. Don't tell me he did not see or experience something. People say, oh, that was just the, the, the hallucination induced by the chemical process of a brain that is dying. Believe that if you want to. Dr. Maurice Rollins, world-renowned cardiologist, has written a book. And the, he was an atheist. But the book is entitled To Hell and Back. You know what the book is about? How he converted to become a believer after watching people die and resuscitating them and bringing them back. And the stories they told of seeing either heaven or hell made the hair on the nap of his neck stand up and were so consistent and uniform he finally had to admit there's something to this thing called Christianity. If you want one that's a little more recent than that, have you seen the book Heaven's For Real, A Little Boy's Astonishing Story of His Trip to Heaven and Back? By Ted and Colton Burpo. Any of you have seen that? Read the book? Anybody? You've seen the video? Let me tell you. You need to read that. You mean, I'm telling you, you, you will get goosebumps on your goosebumps. The boy was four years old when he died. And they brought him back. He came back. But while he was gone, something happened. When he came back, his grandparents who had died before he was born, that he had never even seen their photos, he came back and told his mom and daddy, he said, I, I met grandma and grandpa. And he opened a family, they brought him a, a family album and he opened and looked through all the photos and picked them out though he had never seen their photos before. Not only that, he had a sister that his mother was carrying before he was born who would have been older than him, who died when she miscarried that, when she was miscarried, the mother miscarried the baby. And he met her and said, Mama, I met my sister. And they broke down as a family and cried because they had never shared that she had ever been pregnant and lost a baby girl in a miscarriage. Don't come around here telling me there is no God. There are too many people that have had experiences. And I happen to be one of them. Remember the blue bell ice cream store. Next time somebody tells you there is no God, just say, blue bell ice cream. And when they ask you what it's about, just say, too late, too late, too late, too late. I know he's real. Somebody in the building shout hallelujah here today. That's my God I'm talking about. That's my Savior I'm talking about. That's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Life application points. Do not be afraid to commit to believing in God. Don't be afraid. Some of us are afraid too. It's like we're stepping on thin ice. Like maybe, maybe it's not real. Oh, don't be afraid. The ice will hold you up, trust me. Number two, don't let doubters intimidate you into believing that theirs is the more scientific view. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh -uh. Not so. We've got questions they can't answer. Wait till I get on evolution here in a couple of weeks. Uh -huh. You're going to see what I'm talking about. 
Do not be afraid to ask questions. Jesus never condemned the man when the man said, if you can help me. That's a question, can you? It's, a, it's another way of posing the same question. Jesus didn't condemn the man. Why? Because number four, you do need to understand that honest doubts indicate sincerity, not unbelief. Questions, honest doubts, when you pose them, this is sincerity at work speaking. If you weren't sincere, you'd ignore it and go on. But whenever you take the time to pose the question, there is sincerity that is, that is, that is coming to the surface here. And do study his word, number five, and biblically correct sources to know how to answer the questions of others. Because you're raising your children and they need to know there is a God. They need to meet this God. They need to have answers. And finally, number six, do commit to serving God fully. Now watch out. Because when I get done with this series, God's going to show up in worship one Sunday morning. And having removed the speed bump and that little bit of doubt that's kept you from breaking through, there will be miracles taking place all over this building. And they're already starting right now. You wait. I'm getting ready to show you some videos we're putting together. I'm talking to people in this building that are on the verge of a divine encounter. Stand with me right now and come join me because I want to pray an open heaven over your life. Would you join me at the front? Please, everybody, ground floor, balcony, come. I want to, I want to pray for you right now because there's a, there's a God who wants to know you and that's the good news that I'm going to get to. You say, Pastor, if there's such a thing as personal experience, can I have an experience with God? You, mortal, man or woman, can know the eternal and living God. I want you to do something with me. Would you lift your hands in the air all over this building? I want you to shout these words out loud. Don't say out loud. Don't say them timidly. Don't strain your voice. But I want you to say them loud as though you're declaring your truth. I want you to say this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died and were buried and rose again on the third day and that you are my God and that you shed your sinless blood for the remission of my sins. I believe today that you have given your blood for me and I'm saved through your blood. I declare today that this year will be a year and the rest of my life I will experience much love, many blessings, and great favor.